Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. You know, I think for some of us, Mother's Day is a reminder of all of the soggy stale bread and cold eggs and bitter coffee that we have chugged down over the years from our sweet children making us breakfast. <laughs> some of you may have experienced that this morning. And then for some of us, um, Mother's Day can be not so happy days. We've lost moms or we have never um, been able to have children of our own before. And I have walked friends through both of those processes. So whatever boat you're in this morning, whether it's a day um, of sadness or a day of rejoicing and remembering um, all that God has given you, I just pray that today would be a day of healing if there's tears. And that today would be a day of rejoicing if it's a rejoicing. Father, we just thank you for the words that you have this morning. We thank you for what you've already done in this service. And I ask, Father, that you would just catch me as I trust fall into your arms this morning. Lord, let my voice speak what you want it to speak in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I had... Um, we had ladies retreat this weekend. I was going to share a little bit on that, but we're short on time. So it was amazing. God did a lot. Words were spoken over women. Women were called into um, their season of destiny, and it was an incredible thing. So we definitely missed those of you that were not able to be with us. Um, it's always a little bit bittersweet to see um, the faces there, but at the same time, think of the faces of our sisters that are here. So you were missed, and you were prayed over, and you were loved. And I was thinking, I got to speak a little bit this weekend, and I was thinking, oh, that'll be fine. I will just be able to jump right in and kind of tag team off of that message. And um, like God likes to do, he likes to have his way. He knows the big picture. And so he has shifted that a little bit. It really started um, last Sunday. And I, I really struggled with it a little bit because it's not really a, oh, yay, go be a great mom. You've got it. You can do it kind of message. It is more... Um, the side of motherhood that we see, that's a little more you see in your children, um, the things that are ahead. You see them walking towards danger. You see them going towards something that may not align with who they're supposed to be. And you call those things out. And you call those things and you say, hey, if you go that way, it's dangerous. Those caution things. Hey, if you go that way, you're going to get hurt. Don't touch that stove. And so that's kind of what more of this is. And I, so I was, I was praying this morning and just asking the Lord to really show me more of his heart on this. And, and he kind of brought me back to this moment of, have you guys seen um, The Shack? I know it's a little bit controversial, but has anybody seen it? It really is just a beautiful allegory of the story of the Lord walking somebody through the process of healing, the process of being incredibly hurt. He had things done to him that were never should be done to anyone in childhood and, or anywhere for that matter, and just the process that, that God used to heal him. And we saw in that movie, I don't want to give spoilers, but there was a portion of that movie where you saw Father God demonstrated in, the, in a woman and in her personality and the nurturing side of her. And he asked, he said, you know, she said, well, you're a little bit surprised that I'm a female. And she said to him, she said, the things that you're going to walk through this week to be healed, you couldn't handle a father being there. You need the nurturing side of a mother. You need that side that says, you know, I get this picture of children when they're hurt. Now, in my family, when, children, when our children are hurt, they go to their daddy. Because I somehow missed that uh, huge portion of nurturing 
side of a mom, so I have to really work on it a little bit. They'll come to me and say, I, you know, da, 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 and I'll say, yeah, go talk to dad. <laughs> You'll be fine. I tend to be the pull up, pull up your big girl panties. You got it. <laughs> so that is why God puts you with um, tender-hearted people that are good. So thank you, babe, for filling the gap there for me. But anyways, I just get this picture when I think back to that portion of the movie where our children will come to us with a need. And I, I, got on, I have to get on to Michael because he stepped on the message a little bit. But there's that portion where they come and they say, Mom, it hurts so, so, so bad. And, you know, even as adults, when we're sick, who do we want? We want our moms because there's a nurturing, safe covering that they bring. And no matter what we're going through, everything's okay as long as we're there in the mama nook, right? I remember my mom saying that, like, just come to the mama nook and you, you lay your head on there and everything's going to be fine. No matter what pain you're going through, physical, emotional, or whatever, it's going to be okay. And I just have this picture of if our children came to us and they said, oh, my finger hurts so bad, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, and we just look at it and say, oh, it's going to be okay, flap a Band-Aid on there and never take time to look at it, get the splinter out or whatever it might be, there's infection there. And there's dirty there, and there's gross there. And we need, we need as moms to be able to pull that off, to be able to cleanse it, pour peroxide on it, clean it out, even though we know it's going to hurt. Getting splinters out, the tiniest little things can hurt, but we pull them out, and then God rips the Band-Aid off, and we have the ability to be clean. We have the ability to heal and step into that healing process. And I feel like that's what God said to me this morning when I was getting ready, and I was just seeing flashbacks from that scene in the shack where he says, you needed the nature, the caring, nurturing, kind nature of a mom to be able to heal in this process. And, and I feel like God said to me this morning, Cheryl, well, to, to talk through what we're going to talk to today, people need to be reminded of that healing, safe, mama nook nature that the Father God can bring. It says that we are made in his image and his likeness, correct? So there are parts of females, that the nurturing, loving, kind aspect of that, that, that is God. There are parts of male that are God. And so for him to be able to point that out to us this morning, so as we go through and we talk about some of these things that might be points of pain, I want you guys to have that picture of the kind and loving father, that nurturing side of him that says, climb up here on my lap, come into this safe place, let's heal together. Let's walk through this together. Amen? Amen. So I want to start um, talking a little bit here about when I, um, probably about three weeks ago, I guess, um, I was sleeping. I had been knocked out cold. I woke up in the middle of the night, sat up in bed, and God said to me, I'm going to read it so I don't get this wrong. He said, guard the door against any crack where the enemy can sneak in and destroy the work I'm doing. Guard the door against any crack where the enemy can sneak in and destroy the work I'm doing. And that was the second time he had said that to me that strong in a period of two months. And so when God says something twice like that, you really start to think, okay, what did I do wrong? Did I miss something? You know, what have I done? And so I just started to really examine what that looked like, you know, talking to Pastor Alex and, you know, has there been something done or whatever. And there really, I couldn't see anything. And I really felt like the more I prayed through it and had conversation with different people, that God was, was really talking as a warning. It was really a warning that he was putting out there. Anytime an organization, whether it be a church, a job, you know, your office, your family. I mean, I think even in our family, when we've gone through big transitions, circumstances automatically make the ground easy for offense, right? 
and for friction and for, for us to respond in ways that are not the nature and character of the Father God. And so I think that as we as a church begin to walk through this process of transition and change, things are shifting. We've had people, personnel change. We've had leadership change, all kinds of different things like that. And I think God is asking us as a body of Christ, as a family at Eastside, and as individuals to guard our hearts against the voice of offense. And so that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. The voice of offense often is a loud voice. It is often, offense is often brought on by just natural, I said natural circumstances, changes. A lot of times, um, an example kind of I, I want to share, um, and I am not naturally somebody that gets offended easily. It usually takes a lot to get me upset. I don't, I don't tend to be super emotional about, about stuff like that, and I can usually just shake it off. But for whatever reason, a couple weeks ago, there was an instance where we were doing some stuff around here. A bunch of us were working together, and I interpreted a conversation completely wrong, and I got incredibly offended by this person. And I love this person dearly. We are great friends. We don't generally have friction and stuff like that. But I was incredibly hurt and offended by what she had said. And um, now those of you that have been around here a long time, you can't be trying to figure out. Nosy people, who they think it is. Um, but it's all good now. But anyways, it was, and it got to the point where in passing, I said something to another friend of ours and just said, hey, have you noticed anything off with this person? They said this to me, and I'm really struggling with it, honestly. Like, it really just hit that point of pain. And there had been probably some things in the past with that same person that probably built on it a little bit that I had not taken out the time to deal with. And I got home that night and was just still really wrestling. It was late at night. And I got a text from this friend that in passing I had kind of talked to, the one that I had kind of shared what was going on with, not the one that I was offended by. And she just, she shot me this text, and I tell you, it was like an arrow that shot right into that voice of offense, and it said, do not let the voice of offense take root in your heart. Do not let the voice of offense take root in your heart. And I, I mean, it was short and it was sweet and to the point. And I thought in that moment, man, we have to surround ourselves with people that are willing to shoot those arrows into those voice of offense and silence them. Because let me tell you, they produce seeds of bitterness. They are weeds that want to choke the seed of life, the thing that God has called you to do. They want to choke it from you. They want to, they want to pull it from, from jumping in what God's doing here. There's amazing things happening. He has, he, he needs you guys to be a part of this. He needs you to come into this family and be the nurturers and the lovers and part of this family that he's called you to be. But he, the, the devil's not stupid. It says he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And a lot of times what he does with offense is he will isolate you. It takes one word of offense, and before long, what do we do? We, we kind of we nurse in our wound. And, I mean, you see it all the time, like on the, with the animals on National Geographic. They run in packs, and what do they do? You know, the lion will wait at the back, and he'll, he'll prowl and look for the one that's kind of going slow or kind of off by themselves, or, and, he'll, and they'll take them out because they're, uh, they're alone. They're isolated. It's much easier to take off one than it is an entire pack. And so I think another warning the Lord has for us this morning is make sure that if you've listened to the voice of offense, you don't isolate yourself. Allow people around you, not gossip, not go to a safe place and allow people around you to help you heal. Because those people around you will point out the truth. Our, our, our ideas and the things we think and see get so skewed in those emotions. 
And before long, we, I mean, I had, I had blown this whole thing way out of proportion. So when God dealt with me and said, he said, Cheryl, only I know the heart of a man. You have based this situation off of what you thought you saw, what you thought this person's heart was. You didn't ask me what their heart was. You didn't ask me what their intention was. And I was like, oh, okay. So I did. I said, Lord, how do I, how do I heal from this? Because it did. It just kind of brought up some older wounds that were there with the same person. And so I had to, in that moment, say, Father, give me your heart for this person. Father, help me to see their heart. Help me to see to see what's really there. In uh, 1 Timothy, if you would go with me there. And I believe she's going to have it up there. Yeah. 1 Timothy 2, we'll start with verse 1. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And I'm telling you, if there is anything that God has taught me about silencing the voice of offense, it's allowing him to take the Band-Aid off so it can heal. And how do we do that? We do that through prayer. We do that through going, you know, a lot of times we think to go to the Lord, we have to have it all together. I've got to have these perfect, great prayers, you know, all, I'm feeling great, God, can you just help me with this? No, God has taught me so much about raw, honest prayers, especially in those moments when you're vulnerable and you're hurting. We have to allow the loving nature of God to come in and say, I'm hurting, Lord. This really hurt. How do I heal from this? How do I heal from this? And I believe he brings us from a point of being offended to being a point where we can pray for that person. We can become that person's greatest ally. It might be something they did. They did it, and in, their heart was in the wrong place. But if we are willing to say, Lord, heal my heart, give me your heart for that person, and then pray for them, I guarantee you that offense will heal. You cannot stay offended from somebody that you're praying for. You can't because what happens is God gives you his heart for them. It says perfect love casts out all fear. And that's how you move forward from a place of offense is you step into that perfect unconditional love and you recognize that I am not trusting my heart with a person. I am trusting my heart to the Lord. And he is a safe place. He is a mama nook, a safe place to heal wounds, a safe place to entrust your heart in. And if we are trusting our hearts to men, if we are trusting our hearts to anybody in this church leadership or anyone around you, you're going to get hurt because guess what? We're not perfect. Surprise. Brandon's not perfect. I'm not perfect. Pastor Alex isn't perfect. Michael's not perfect. Brock's not perfect. Nell's, Nell's pretty close. She's, she's right there. <laughs> But we're not, and so you can't, the point, of, the point of this is we can come into family and we can come into community and we can have healthy relationships with each other and at the same time trust our hearts to one another because ultimately the Father holds our hearts in his hand. Amen? Amen? Amen. So the first voice we want to call out in silence this morning that I felt like God said was the voice of offense. You know, we, um, Brandon and I had the privilege of going to an amazing Bible college back in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the pastor there was, he was just an incredible man of God. He traveled all over the world. He loved, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody love people and was passionate for, to see people come to the Lord like I have him. And, you know, we would get opportunities as interns to sit with him and talk to him and, and say that kind of stuff. And I remember um, being in his kitchen with a bunch of other ones. And, you know, what do you do as like 
an eight or 19 year old that wants to go into ministry, you know, you just want to soak up all of that wisdom and what did you do right and what did you learn and da 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 da. And so we asked him, we're like, hey, Pastor Billy Joe, what did you, you know, what was the one thing that you could tell us to pass on? And you know what he said to us? Don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. And I remember thinking, okay, come on. That's like really simple. Don't get bitter. I mean, come on. There's got to be more. There's got to be more. Like there's got to be a power for scripture or something. And he, he did over and over again. You would ask him and he would say, just don't get bitter. Just don't get bitter. And I'm telling you, like I have looked back in that moment so many times in my life because there are so many opportunities. And it's not just in church. It's in the workplace. It's in your own families. It's in friendships, people that God has called you to do life with. There is opportunity for offense, and there is opportunity for the root of bitterness to grow. And we have to pull that weed out. We have to silence the voice of offense in our lives. And the other thing, uh, before I move on, that I want to point out with that is that oftentimes, especially in, um, and I think women might tend to do this a little bit more, but um, we talk, right? We talk. We tell tell everybody everything. We talk. We have, oh, I got to share this. I got to share this. And a lot of times what happens is we take on somebody else's offense. And all of a sudden, I wasn't mad with Susie Soso, but she told me this about, you know, somebody else told me this about her. And all of a sudden, like, oh, my gosh, you know, and whether I wanted to or not, there is an automatic door there. And there is there is a place that that just gets cut off from me ever receiving anything from her. And I think we we so tend to do that sometimes as we, you know, in, in all the good nature of, oh, let me help you. You know, they share something with us. And as, as leaders, we have to do that all the time. You know, anytime I meet with anybody for counseling or anything like that, I always leave that saying, Father, you know the heart of these people. Help me to not take on that offense. Help me to help them heal. Help me to walk them through this and to love every person involved in this situation. So we have to be careful not to silence, or we have to silence the voice of offense in our lives and to not take on the offense of somebody else. The other one that I want to tackle is um, silencing the voice of deception. So let's go to Genesis 3. And most of us, all of us probably, know the story with Adam and Eve in the garden. And how many of you know the enemy's tactics really never change? He's not creative. He's always copywriting. He's always doing the same thing over and over again. And we see this here in the garden. So chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, "Eh, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Everybody said, did God really say? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the trees in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. Then God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. So what do we see here? We see the enemy being deceptive. Right? We see him saying, questioning what they knew God had said, what God had, had told them, the instructions God had given. He comes in and says, did God really say that? 
I mean, come on now. Did God really say that? And a lot of times when I think of the, of the serpent, I think of this, obviously. It's very obvious they're deceptive. They just come in, and you know they're a snake, and they're slithery and slithery, and you can kind of point that out. They have an agenda or whatever. But as Mel was so gentle to point out to me, because I'm quick to just be like, that's a decisive spirit, da, 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 da. They're determined to be deception. And Mel was like, Cheryl, they're not always like that. A lot of times people have good hearts. They've been hurt. And hurt people hurt people. And so you have, you have somebody here who I don't know that it was her intent to, you know, be decisive and offer fruit to her husband. You know? But there was a, de- there was a deceptive spirit there. And sometimes the people that we have to be cautious of are people that we love that are well-meaning. But they have an agenda that doesn't align themselves with the word of God. They have an agenda that doesn't align themselves with what God wants to do in a body of believers, with what God wants to do in your life. And so it is so important that we not only silence the voice of offense, but we also silence the voice of deception in our lives, that we don't allow it to take root. Divisive means creating disunity or dissension. So we have to be careful against that. I have some friends growing up, and um, I used to think their parents were crazy because anytime they would get into any kind of argument with each other, their parents would make them go open the front door together and kick out the door and say, strife and divisive behavior, leave our house now. <laughs> and I remember thinking, my dad, says, my dad says some wacky things, but I've never had to do that before. And now that I have kids, I'm like, you know, the picture it paints is really true. We have to get aggressive when we see those things seeping in our lives, when we see divisive or deceptive behavior. We we have to say, no, you're not going to have a place in my house. You're not going to have a place in this body of believers. Amen? So we're going to silence the voice of offense and silence the voice of deception. And God calls us as a family to be that to each other. He calls us to guard each other. He calls us to watch out for each other. He calls us, much like he does into a family, he calls us into a body of believers and to be committed. And the importance of commitment is that you grow in relationship with one another so that you know what people are struggling. You're aware of the voices that they're letting into their lives and you can have a voice to speak to that. Because we're all at different pages. We're all at different levels. We're all at different places in our walk with the Lord. And if we just surround ourselves with people that are in the same boat as us, you don't have a voice to speak in there. You don't have wisdom pouring into you. And something that is, it's a little bit off, but we talked about this weekend, is God has been stirring in me such a need for the older generation to nourish the younger generation. And for the nurse, for the younger generation to be willing to be nourished by the older generation. Because one day, you will be that older generation. And if you don't take the time to listen to the wisdom that God has placed around you, then when it comes your turn, you're going to be wondering what to do. Right? And there's wisdom there. There's knowledge there. And so I am excited to see that God is stirring that. We saw that in the ladies' retreat this weekend. And I'm excited that God is stirring that in hearts because I think it's so, so, so important. Family is messy. Um, family is, is dirty. It's often, um, and people are messy. So it's just going to be that way. Um, I want to read Matthew 22, 37 and 38, and it's really God's heart for us. And, and sometimes we can overcomplicate things, but I love going back to the simplicity of this command. And I'm actually going to read it out of the Passion Translation. Sorry, baby. I know that's like committing heresy to do that, but 
But I love the way this reads, and I do always look at other contexts as well. Um, But I love the way this Passion Translation reads. It says, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with the energy of your being and within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. So God's heart for us as a church family, God's heart for us as a body of believers in general is to love him passionately with everything we have and to love those that he has put in our life in that same way. So guarding against the voices that don't look like him. Um, let's go to 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. Real quick, I skipped this one, but I want to go back to it. First Peter 5, 8 through 9. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm. Everybody say, stand firm. Stand firm. Against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. So he's saying, stand firm. Be alert. Be watchful. But don't forget there's people all around you that are going through the same thing. So he's calling us to be in community. He's calling us to watch out for each other. He's calling us to be a voice in each other's lives. So we've talked about silencing the voice of offense. We've talked about silencing the voice of deception. So what do we do? What does it look like? What is, what is a body of believers supposed to look like? Let's go to Acts 2.42. You know you're a admin when your bookmarkers are order of service notes. <laughs> or notes from Pastor Alex. <laughs> Acts 2.42. So what's just happened here? We all know this story, the day of Pentecost. So Jesus has, has told his disciples, go to this place. Wait for me. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to pour out on you. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to empower you. You're going to get your marching orders there. And so they do. They get in this room. Boldness comes on. Peter, he stands up and he preaches, and what happens? The Holy Spirit falls, doesn't he? He comes, much like we want him to fall here on a consistent basis. We are positioning and posturing ourselves to hear from God, to have him show up in our lives. And then you read in, let's start with verse 41. It says, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so teaching, and to fellowship, fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So we have teaching, fellowship, I'm going to put sharing of meals in that one with fellowship, and to prayer. Three things. Three things that we saw were the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming and empowering a group of believers. So I look at this and I say, and you know what I think is cool is that this happened, this, re- this realization that this was fruit of what The Holy Spirit fell. This was fruit of what happened when he fell and empowered them. They then devoted themselves purposely. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, and to prayer. And I think, man, you look later on down the books of Acts, and and what happens? You see persecution. The early church had a ton of persecution. But I love that they were devoted as a result of the Holy Spirit, them seeing this amazing move of the Holy Spirit. They then devoted themselves to these things so that they could stand against the things to come. Amen? And that is what 
a healthy body, a healthy community is to look like. It's to guard the door against the voice of offense, to guard the door against the voice of deception, and to stand together. And we do that by devoting ourselves to these things, teaching, fellowship with one another, inviting people into our lives, trusting our hearts, not, to the, not just to people, but to the Lord, and to prayer. Prayer is where the wisdom is. Prayer is where God gives us the answers and God reveals to us what he's doing and what he's saying. And he, he reveals to us, uh, I believe, what the enemy is doing. He gives us revelation through prayer. JP, do you want to go ahead and come? You know, we've had, I've had lots of conversations with Alex and the staff about this and it's been it's been prophesied over and over again about this church being a place of refuge about this church being a place of healing and restoration each one of us were created for signs wonders and miracles let me say that again each one of us was created for signs wonders and miracles not to live in bitterness not to live in offense but sometimes that takes a decision. Just like we talked about in the beginning, you might be here and you have been hurt. Hurt is real, y'all. It's painful. And I recognize that sometimes you can't just stand up and make a decision and the pain go away. Some healings take a process, but it starts with us being willing to crawl up in daddy's lap, crawl up in mama's lap, pull the Band-Aid off, and say, okay, God, I'm willing to let you in. I'm willing to, to, like Michael said, put that salve on the wound and allow you to heal me. I had, um, and I shared this in first service, and um, I got quite a bit of laugh from Alex. But when we first moved here, and just to be real raw and vulnerable with you guys, when we first moved here, I was not in a good place. It's about, what, six, seven years ago, I guess? And I was bitter. I was hurt. Some of it was from past work and, and job experiences at church. Some of it was, um, was offense. Some of it was just relationship issues, you know, just marriage issues we were having after, huh? Yeah, some of it, honestly, I mean, we come out of the army. So there was a lot of hurt there, a lot of things of my life not going the way I thought it would, a lot of disappointment. And when we first came here, um, I walked in and I had a conversation with Alex. And that first conversation with him, I was like, we're not supposed to be here. This man is not the place I need to heal. He came across very strong and gruff and not nurturing, not what I needed in that moment. And from that moment on and several conversations we had later, I just thought my husband is missing it if he thinks this is where we're supposed to be. And I came here every day and I just sat and I weeped because I was so upset that we had been called to this church and a pastor that I didn't think had the ability to help me heal and a group of people that I didn't think had the ability to love me. And God told me, Cheryl, we actually, it was the first ladies retreat I went to. We were driving home and God told me, um, he said, you are never gonna be able to walk through the doors that I have for you to walk in if you don't talk to him and let go of that offense. If you don't give him a chance to see his heart. And so I did. I sent him an email when I got back, and, and, I, and I had formed all kinds of, of, of judgments on him that he thought I was just an emotional person, and I was mad because I was emotional because I was hurting, and, and all these things, and I was thinking, you don't know me. I'm never emotional. I just got through a really hard time. And so I was frustrated because I felt like he didn't see my heart, and I didn't see his heart. 
And so we, we got together and Brandon just kept saying, babe, you just got to get to know him. You just got to see his heart. You just got to see his heart. And I kept trying to walk through doors of ministry here and every single door would close. Every single door would close. And God just kept pointing it back. Cheryl, you got to go to him. You got to go to him. You got to learn his heart. And so I began to just pray and pray and pray. And I did. We, I went, I sent him an email. I met with him. And let me tell you, it was a hard band-aid to pull off because it brought a lot of past hurt up. It brought a lot of past hurt up. But God was faithful to heal that relationship. And I love him so, so, so much. I am in a position now where all I do is hold up his hands. All I do is block for him. All I do is make sure he's safe and he's protected and, and do the things that he doesn't have time to do so that he can pastor you and he can be the, the pastor that God's called him to be. And I have never felt so fulfilled in a place in my life. And I guarantee you that would not have happened if I had not allowed that Band-Aid to be ripped off and allowed God to heal. And just like Michael said, there is a point of obedience that you have to take. There's a point of saying, God, I'm trusting you with this hurt. I'm trusting you with my heart. Men have stomped on it before. Men have disappointed me before. But I choose to trust you and be obedient. And I believe God wants to heal that this morning. I don't know where you're at or what you've done or who you, maybe you've been the one that's done the hurting. Maybe you've been the one that has brought deception to other people's lives. Or maybe you're the one that has hurt. But I want to give God the opportunity to minister to your heart this morning. I can only say so much, but ultimately it's his unconditional love, that reckless love that we just sung about that draws us to that point of ripping that Band-Aid off and letting that wound heal. So why don't we stand up?